So we're going to be carrying on our series, Gospel Giving Living, today. And today, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the third in the series. We've looked at Thanksgiving. Chris Butland did a fantastic talk last week on forgiving that I would highly recommend to you if you've got uh, a spare half an hour this week. It would be well spent to listen to the teaching that he brought last week. And today, we're going to be looking at something else, grace giving. Begin with this. You are dust. You're dust. You're dust. Pete, you're dust. I don't mean to be rude, too rude at least. Some of you are very funny sounding dust, especially in this area. Some of you are very well made dust. My wife is particularly attractive dust. But the reality is, you're dust. You're dust. This is how the Bible begins the story of humanity. Like this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And mist was going up from the ground and watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became the living creature. What a, what a picture. It's like um, a dawn morning, isn't it? Here, you get this idea of it's just it's misty. There's not a lot going on. You can't see a lot. It's hazy. No work had yet been done. No man had laid plough to the ground. There was nothing, nothing that had been done in the earth yet. And then God pulls together, he moves and pulls together the atoms of life. He knits man together. He sparks that life. He draws that dust together and he shapes it. And he breathes his life in it. What we see here is dust became man just because God desired to bring life. And What is absolutely amazing about this is straight from the get-go, we see God pour out love and affection on the dust. He gives it a beautiful place to live, the Garden of Eden. He gives it an amazing purpose to look after the place he has given it to live in. He gives it a partner and the joy of relationship in Eve. And all of that brings the opportunity to love, to care, to fight over the washing up. And most of all, he gives this dust the incredible gift of being uniquely like him. Made in his image, Genesis 1.27 says. Given the chance to think, to feel, to create, 
to relate like him. And the ability, unlike any other, to know God. This dust could now know the purest, truest joy, the purest, truest love, the deepest security, the wonder of the magnificent creator God himself. You are dust, but you are dust with incredible dignity. Do you know, when I, when I think about this introduction to humanity in the Bible, it does a couple of things. Firstly, it is incredibly humbling. It's incredibly humbling. Do you know, it removes any notion that I could be better than anyone else actually. I'm better dirt than they are because I shop at Waitrose and I wear Jimmy Choo's. I don't even know if that's a thing. It just sounded good for my, for my preach. I believe they're expensive shoes and I've never put a pair of them on. I want to clarify. That's not, that's not another embarrassing confession. What's that? Check with, check with Rach. Yeah, Rach, you've still got both shoes, haven't you, this morning? Like, do you see it though? What a nonsense to judge that I'm better judged by what I do or what I say or what I own than someone else. I, do you know, I remember, um, I remember a really stark moment, and I, and I don't think I understood why at the time it judged, but I was stood around with a load of church guys at a, at a wedding. Some of them were church leaders. And um, in, this, in this moment, they, they started talking about chavs. And they were like, oh yeah, chavs. I don't know. Do we use that word still? I don't. I think it had. It's had its day, hasn't it? What's that? It's a southern word. Okay. I was in Leeds at the time. We, they were probably all southerners. Yeah. It's new, it is New Frontiers. They get everywhere, don't they? This is like it's the conduit of the southerners to everywhere else in the world. Scally. Yes. Yeah, scally chavs. But anyway, I remember they were just they were just talking about openly derogatory about chavs, and there was this there was this haughtiness. Do you know? There was this I am better than them because of what they do and the way that they live. I'm better than I remember it jarring with me, but I was doing, like, again, not being particularly brave. These last two preachers I've done, I've not particularly painted myself in the best light, but it's true. I just, I was like, ha, ha, yeah, 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 funny, you know, wanting to be a part of that, part of that whole crowd. But really, in my side, I was like, no, there's something wrong with this. And do you know what's wrong with it? You're dust, mate. They're dust, you're dust. Dust with dignity, but dust nonetheless. Do you know what? Ecclesiastes gives it a straight. All men have the same breath. All go to one place. All are from dust and all to dust will return. You know, on days like this where you catch all of that sparkliness as the sun comes through when you've not done your spring cleaning, you're that. I'm that. And it leaves no, no place for haughtiness if we understand it. No place for that pride. Do you know, but even more than that, as we think about this, we start to understand a doctrine, which is a fancy name for a big theme in the Bible that God wants us to, to get. We start to get one of the, an, an understanding of one of these key doctrine, doctrines, and it's the doctrine of common grace. Such an important one that we get hold of in our heart, in our mind. You know, grace is one of those words, isn't it? it Christianese word. It kind of crops up so many times, a bit like blessing. And brother, maybe. I don't know, do we use bro? Bro? Bra? 
Those sorts of words. You know what I'm talking about. But it's one of those dangers that, one of those words that's in danger of being almost overused, over-familiarized. We lose, we lose its real impact, especially if you're in New Frontiers circles like we are. But, you know, like, there's a question usually in there. What's, what's Terry speaking on today? Speaking on Grace. Oh, great. I needed to check the football scores. <laughs> like, actually, we heard him recently on Grace. We had this response. We were like, Grace again, Terry. And it was amazing. It just it took it deeper. So that's not the right response. And over-familiarization with this word is not the right response. It really isn't. Actually, when we use, when used biblically, the word of grace should always cause us to switch on and tune in to how remarkable and wonderful God is. You see, when we're talking about biblical grace, we're not talking about giving thanks before a meal. So I'm sorry for those of you who thought today was going to be about getting a, you know, a schooling in great prayers before you eat. Uh, I could give you one of those. Uh, my wife would disagree. She hates it when I give anything over two minutes and the food's going cold and the kids are screaming and I'm getting all holy at the dinner table. It's not about that, nor you'll be pleased to hear is it about you know, beautiful, graceful dancing. You see, biblical grace in its simplest form is simply this, being given something you don't deserve. Being given something you absolutely and fundamentally do not deserve. Firstly, it's something you have not earned or have no rights or entitlement to. No, it would be like Chris CB uh, whipping out his car keys and Steve just walking over to you and saying, here you go, buddy. I want to bless you. You haven't heard it. And if I preach well today, mate, and he, he really gets my message, you never know. You never know. No. Okay. It would be like Christy B going out to kids' work, getting his car keys, bringing them back and giving you his car. You wouldn't deserve it. Even, but even more than that, even more than being given something you deserved, it is actively being given something you don't deserve. If you imagine or if you have been bullied in your life, it's like seeing that bully who caused years of therapy, difficulty, seeing that person who abused you when you were a helpless child and going up to them and caring for them in a care home, paying all of their dues, looking after them, making sure they they were looked after, loving them daily, taking them food. That person doesn't deserve that. They caused you so much hardship and difficulty, yet you have been given it. You're being actively something. When we're talking about biblical grace, we're talking about those two things in its purest form. I mean, what, what, what words would you use just quickly to describe God? First words that come onto your heads. Chuck them out at me. Good. Father. Kind. Generous. Loving. Great. Holy. I was expecting something like omnipresent as well and all-powerful and some of those good words. Do you know, thankfully none of you said it, even though it's on the board, but I think, there's a, um, I think there's a very good case, if you look at the Bible, to say that grace is the central word within Christianity, and gracious is the first word that should drip off our tongue when we think about who God is, and his character, and his name. It's like 1 Peter, we find in 1 Peter where he says that he is the God of all grace. That he is first and foremost 
the one who loves to give incredible undeserved gifts to all people and one who gives things we definitely don't deserve. And when we understand that we are dust, we get the opening glimpses of understanding why there is a good argument for this. You know, dust, as far as I'm aware, deserves nothing. It's owed nothing. It can claim nothing as its own. There is no human rights act for dust. Yet God chose as a free gift to give all of that dignity and all of that purpose to all of us, freely and undeservedly. But by the grace of God, I was pulled together. But by the grace of God, I get to share in the moments of this life. But by the grace of God, I get to relate. But by the grace of God, I get to create, to taste, to feel the sun on my face. But by the grace of God, I have all that I have. The days he has allotted me, the capacity to comprehend just a smidge, just a tiny bit of his incredible goodness. And common grace, that great biblical theme is this, that he has given these things to all women and men. From the moment their spark ignites to the day the ember burns out, whether they believe in him, whether they love him, do good or horrendous things, even if they never in the entirety of their lives acknowledge a fleeting thought about him, He has shaped them, given them every moment, and sustained their lives. The fact that we are dust shows me that God's very nature is graciousness. I think we miss this sometimes as Christians. God's grace goes deeper than just the gospel. God's character goes before the gospel in graciousness, yet it is totally and utterly refined in the gospel. It's in the gospel that we see its purest form. You know, as we uh, read through the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, we realise that despite God repeatedly loving his dusty creations, despite him putting them together so carefully like a potter on a wheel, rather than worship the potter who graciously breathed his breath into them and gave them a touch of heaven, this dust, this pile of atoms decided to reject him, his teachings and some of his sweetest gifts like being with him in the Garden of Eden. And as you read the words, there are loads of consequences to this decision. Ideas of right and wrong start getting all muddled up as people start acting selfishly, hurting one another instead of following their creator's guidance. And an understanding of God gets all confused. People forget and actively reject who God was. And interestingly, as you read the Bible, you see that rather than following the one who formed us out of dust, what they do is they start to take from the dust and try and 
reform these gods, these idols. They take from the world and they try and recreate gods and they give their money and their time to it and God's forever chastising them saying, hold on a minute guys, that's a lifeless dead object. Why are you giving your time, your money, your worship to it? Give it back to me. Remember who I am. The very ideas of God gets confused. He becomes some kind of helpless thing, carved, made out of the dust. And in this place of rejecting him and moral confusion, God being like a loving father who truly cares for his children brings his discipline. You cannot go on this way or there will be consequences, he says. The sin you have stepped into will lead to greater and greater harm and evil in this world. And there will be judgment and ultimately death for it. Because it angers me that you are hurting one another, abusing my creation, forgetting you are dust. So although people end up in this deep sense of common grace, they also end up in this deep sense of judgment because of this rejection from him. You know, if you read the Old Testament on repeat, this is it. This is, the rep- this is the cycle we see time and time again. You should go read it, see. God creates his people. God loves his people. God's people reject God. God pursues them by showing his might and beauty and salvation to them. But after a time, they forget and reject him and live in some of the consequences of that. Making mud gods, like I've said, getting morally wrong, like failing to look after the poor. And they feel the rod of God's judgment, sometimes in incredibly stark, painful ways that show God's hatred for where they've come to. You know, this is why in the Old Testament we get that phrase where God's people are repeatedly described as an adulterous wife. That description is to explain this cycle to us where he loves and is a faithful, creator God who deeply, regardless of us not deserving it, loves the dust he has created and given privilege to. Yet that, that people is like, oh yeah, but, but that's a bit handsome over there. He's a bit handsome. He's a bit of a looker. I'm going to turn my heart and my head over here. I'm going to forget the husband who loves me. Do you know, but what is amazing, what is absolutely amazing, is regardless of this, we see the God who, of common grace, who gave everyone life, give another astounding free gift that had not been earned. But this time we're moving into that second description of grace that I gave you, giving people something that they actively did not deserve. He was paying the bullies care home fees. How? He sent his son Jesus as a rescuer. One who would come down from heaven into the dust of the world to reshape and remould our broken dust into something brand new. Romans 5, 7 to 8 just summarizes Jesus' life brilliantly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... He died for us. Whilst we were still rejecting him, he died for us. This is what Jesus' entire life and painful death was about. God coming to earth 
to live amongst his creations so we who had forgotten his great glory and grace would see it firsthand in the flesh, in a living person, not in a man-made idol. God coming to earth that we would know what a truly perfect life looked like so we might see the sinful place we had come to without God's leading. God coming to earth to take all of the consequences of our wrongdoing on himself by dying on the cross in our place to wash out our mucky insides and make a new, holy, clean dwelling place for his very presence, the Holy Spirit, so that we would never again forget, reject or lose sight of his fatherly guidance and exchange the living God for dusty idols. This is why Corinthians 2, 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in the work of Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and a new has come. Chris talked about objective truth today, didn't he? That is what God did through Jesus Christ. It's done. Do you know, if you stop and think about this just for a moment, it's quite something. God's reaction to a people whom he had shaped together, to whom he owes nothing, when they have broken mucky lives and are actively rejected him, didn't say, forget you, you get lost. I'm just going to wipe it out, start again. He pours more grace and graciousness on them by sending his precious son to them more grace than you could ever imagine. Do you know, great summary Jesus gives us of, of this in uh, Luke 15, 11 to 32. He gives us a story that helps us understand all of this theology in the Bible. It tells us a story about a son who rejects his father, just like we as a people reject our father in heaven, our creator. He takes all that his father has given him, all of his inheritance, and he goes out into the world and he squanders it without his father, ending up in a low place. The story says he ends up sleeping with the pigs in the muck. Like we have come to compared to where we started with God in the Garden of Eden. And suddenly, as this son lies in this low place, he's reminded of the place he had in his father's household, like we are by Jesus coming to earth. That perfect place exists. And decides to go back to see what his father, who he knows has, he has wronged, will do. And what never ceases to amaze me in this story is that as the son sets off to find his father, he does not get what he deserves. He's insulted his father in the highest way in that society by saying, forget you, I want to go my own way. But instead, his father is so gracious and pours adoration and gifts on his son, to whom he has already given so much, 
We read he runs to him in this story. He embraces him. He redresses him with a robe and a ring. He puts on a feast for him. He forgives him totally, puts on a party for him and restores him into a place of headship over his household of authority and power. He quite literally lifts his undeserving son up from the muck and the mire and he seats him in heavenly places. Jesus tells this parable because he wants us to understand this is what God wants to do with every one of our lives. He wants us, like the son, to recognize that compared to being with God, we're in the muck with the pigs. And he longs, he wants us to know that the gracious God wants to pour out his grace upon grace, a forgiveness for sins and the cross, a fresh knowledge of his presence, a restored relationship with him, a freedom from death, a freedom from the dirty idols of this world and the brokenness we live in and restore us to that place of relationship with him. Do you know the only difference between this grace and common grace and the common grace he already shows you is that access to this is about faith in what Jesus has done. It's about a willingness to trust it and have Lord on your life. It's like the sun woke up. It's that moment where it's like, wake up and come to me. Yeah, it's better with me. The son made that choice of faith to go towards his father so he could access that grace. It's the only difference between the common grace and this grace. You have to get up from the muck and run towards the father to access his grace. And we have to stand up from the muck of this world, look to the cross, and walk to him and follow him. And he pours it on us abundantly. So much grace. So much graciousness upon the dust he created. Listen, if you stand in Jesus this morning, you stand in the most abundant grace imaginable by your Father in heaven. Not because you have earned it, but because he loves you. But what do we do with all of this grace? What do we do with it? Is it so we can go, sweet, I am good now, great, sorted, I'm covered in grace so I can crack on just knowing that, you know, it's all sorted for me, it's all okay. You'll not be surprised to know this is not the case. Grace and the knowledge that we have been given astounding favour far more than our rebellious, dusty selves deserves, should have a profound effect on our life and fundamentally change it as we understand it. And this brings us back to the heart of the series, Gospel Giving Living. You know, that, that idea that we covered in week one in Ephesians, that the gospel is God lavishing his riches upon us. Not that we would store them up for ourselves, but that we would pour them out on the world and the world would know his goodness through us. That's what the gospel's for. It's riches for works. Riches for things on display. Riches so that the riches of his goodness can be known. And this is a massive New Testament theme. Christians, my most beloved dust, as you have been given grace upon grace upon grace, show grace upon grace upon grace to all those dusty people around you who do not deserve it also. Never miss 
an opportunity to show the grace that I have shown you. Never miss an opportunity to put my grace on display so that people can get a taste of my grace. You know, this theme really does run right the way through the New Testament. But the idea of never missing the opportunity of grace is so apparent in Jesus' life and teaching. It's so apparent. I mean, if you just look at Jesus himself, he never missed an opportunity to show grace, to pour this undeserved grace on an undeserving people. He was ready and available at every opportunity to give out blessings from heaven. Verses like Luke 9.35, he went through all the towns, teaching, healing, pronouncing the kingdom come. Do you know, but there's some stories in there that really display it, like Zacchaeus. I love this story. Luke 19.1-10. Such a simple story where Jesus walks into Jericho, doesn't he? And there's a little man in a tree and he pushes through the crowd and he finds this man up there. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to eat with you. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Children's stories that we, again, can become over-familiar with. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was a jerk. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was ripping his own people off to pay for the Roman rule over them and the oppression. Zacchaeus was taken from the poor and lying in his own pockets. Zacchaeus was a bad dude, and he was little. But Jesus walks straight up to him and gives him the honour of being the one he picks out. And he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Let me show you undeserved grace upon grace upon grace. Come down and experience it with me. And Zacchaeus' heart is changed and Zacchaeus overflows with grace upon grace upon grace as he understands grace that's been shown him. He says, Lord, let let me pay back the money I owe to the poor and anybody I have cheated can come to me today and I will pay it back. Do you see it? Do you know, equally, one of Jesus' most challenging teachings, I think, has to be this. Matthew 5, 38 to 44. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You living like that? What is this essentially saying? It's essentially saying, in every circumstance, show the kind of grace that God shows you, regardless of whether that person deserves it. Never miss an opportunity to show gospel grace to others. If someone shames and insults you, do not respond in self-righteous anger, but see it as an opportunity to challenge them in loving grace. If someone wants to steal from you and sue you, graciously give them more. If someone forces labor on you, like was not uncommon with Roman soldiers, don't get hurt, but see it as an opportunity to graciously go the extra mile for them and show them something of God's transforming grace. 
Graciously give to the one who asks. Graciously lend to the one who needs to borrow. Graciously pour love and prayer on those, even if they harm you, just like the God of common grace does. Be grace givers as I have given grace. Moment of honesty with you. I don't often get this right. And I am personally so challenged by this theme this morning. But I do remember one time at university that I just want to tell you about. I was on my way to a uh, discipleship course, actually, run by Mr. Chris Sifton Brown. What's your name? Christopher Clifton Brown. He's a wonderful man who I've known for years, but I still can't pronounce his surname. Do you know, and I, and on, on route, I committed the cardinal sin with a bus driver. I remember I was down in Headingley, and I, when I was down in town, I had to get to Headingley. And, um, and I, I only had a tenner on me. And I said, here you go, mate. And he's like, what's that? I was like, ten pounds. He's like, you're not going to change. He's like, no, no, I'm really sorry. And he's like, get off my bus. And I said, I'm really sorry, mate. No, I've, I've got to get somewhere. Because as a student, you can imagine I was running late. But I was like, I'm really sorry, mate. I really need to, to get this bus. And this bus driver, just in this moment, was so rude to me. He mumbled, oh, flipping students. And he proceeded to then go to his 10 and 20p change. And his bus was only a pound. And he just got this whole load of change out. Slowly. He didn't look at me. He didn't speak to me. His demeanor was one of absolute anger. And he got the remaining sort of nine pounds out of this thing. And he dumped it down. And I remember his mate was there, like just stood with him at the time. He turned and smirked to his mate. And I, and I just didn't know what to do. I was like, mate, please, that's, come on, can I, can I just get some change? He just, and he blanked me completely. I was fuming, absolutely fuming. So I, I was like, right, whatever. So I scooped up all these 20Ps and I just sort of went up to the back of the bus. And I sat down there and I, do you know what? I stewed in absolute anger at the back of the bus about the way I'd just been treated. Do you know, I gave him money for goodness sake. There's no, I know he had pound coins. I know he had fives in his pocket. There was no need to treat me that way. It's out of order. And I was just thinking about all the ways that I could get back at this guy, essentially. Do you know, like, I, you know when you're just like, yeah, just I'll, I'll, I'll kick his door on the way out. I'll contact the bus service. I'm going to get the number plate. I'm going to make sure I take note of his name, name plate. And in this moment, I don't know why in this moment, because like I said, I usually fall down. And the, the fact that this story so long ago will tell you how <laughs> infrequently I behave like this. But I felt this, this kind of verse, this very verse that we've just looked at, pop into my head. Go the extra mile. Give him the change and bless him. It's like, what do you mean? That guy's a jerk. He's horrendous. Matt. I want you to go the extra mile and I want you to give him the change and bless him. And I had about five minutes to sort of really, you know, dwell off obedience. I think because I was on the way to the discipleship course, this kind of made me feel like I have to and I'm fuming. And I, and I nervously, really uncomfortably did this. Uh, I did the prompt. I went up and when the bus stopped, I just got up there and I stopped and I looked at him and I, and I put the money back down. And I was like, mate, I don't know what caused you to feel or be angry like that today. But here you go, I want you to take this, and after work, buy yourself a pint, and God bless you today. God bless you. And this guy, in this moment, is just like, no, no, you can't do that. You, no, you can't, you can't do that. And I'm like, mate, I want to do that. 
please, thank you, thank you for driving me here today. Do you know, you, you have it. And I turned and I got off the bus. And, and I heard of that, mate, 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 no, mate, mate, sorry. And I walked off. Do you know what, t- what struck me about this? Like so many things in this series is that totally changed, passing on that grace to that undeserving man in that situation. Totally changed that situation again. Do you know, I didn't stop to see any of the aftermath with it really, but I know, but I know that a man who cries sorry is not feeling the same as he was when you step onto that bus and he's angrily just giving you all this rubbish and treating you like dirt. Do you know, more often than not, I am more consumed by why somebody does not deserve my grace. That, that reigns higher in my mind and my life, the reasons why they do not deserve my grace, than starting from the grace I stand in, that I am dust. And that the fact that nobody deserves grace, but God wants me to change it. Do you know, been flipping up his head and knowing what the Lord commands me to do, which is to take the grace he has given me, which is abundant and rich and far beyond anything I could imagine, and take the opportunity to pour out on other people. I'm more concerned about why they don't deserve it than why I should pour it out on them. And Jesus' teaching is so challenging to me here. I have stopped understanding that I am saved dust. And I am missing an opportunity to change the world with his amazing grace. The grace that he sustains me with. And the grace that he poured out on the cross. And I've seen some amazing examples of grace in Freedom Church. Just the other day, somebody came to me and said, Matt, I want to give to somebody anonymously. I want to give them this. Would you just would you pass this on, but don't say who it is who's done this? And I, I got to be the person included in this grace. You got to go and pass it on to this person from the anonymous donor. And um, you could just see. You just see. I think the person had to actually just nip out of the room just to steady themselves because of the joy that it brought them and the thankfulness for them. That person didn't. There's no deserving that. That was just somebody wanting to pour out grace. And I just want to say, well done. Well done. And that's just one of many, many, many examples. So I want to thank you so much and take the opportunity to thank you if you're pouring out grace already. But if you're more like me and that your gospel giving living when it comes to grace giving is a bit more stop start, if it isn't the pattern of how you live, that you're more inclined to think of the reasons not to show grace than why you should. Let me challenge you as my heart is challenged. You're missing opportunities to advance the gospel. And you're missing a way of living Jesus models to you. Let's finish. You dust. Be deeply loved dust. And maybe this morning, there's one or two responses for you. Maybe there's a little bit of repentance re- needed in line with this. Maybe you just got a bit haughty and proud. Maybe you suffer from self-righteousness. You've stopped recognizing the wonder of God's grace to you as dust and need to be called back into that biblical truth. Or maybe you just need to hear 
this call of the gospel. There is a call to live like Jesus and to take every opportunity to give grace to others. Those in our community, those homeless on the street, those in your neighbourhoods, those who attack you, those who love you, colleagues at work. There are a thousand ways to show a thousand undeserving people God's goodness through feeling, freely giving undeserved grace to them.